We're looking at uh, chapter 3, Revelation, page 1169, beginning at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. To those who are victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just keep that um, page open. If you've got a Bible, let's pray together as we start. And Lord, we just come before you now and we just thank you for your word we thank you that it is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword and we pray Lord that you would come and move amongst us tonight come and speak to us come and use the sword of your word in the way only you can by your spirit out of love in our hearts, that we would leave here tonight looking and living more like you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, yeah, as you heard in the testimony slot, um, a number of us have just got back uh, from skiing. And just, just one quick story to sort of set up uh, what we're looking at tonight, um, which came about two days ago. Uh, we all had a happy time. Uh, we were generally injury-free. Sadly, someone did get an injury on the first day, had to leave um, a couple of days later. But we'd had a great time. The sun was shining. And I was with a group of about nine of us, uh, and we'd had a long, lazy lunch. We'd crossed over the other side of the mountain into Switzerland, actually. Very adventurous. And we'd had, uh, the sun was shining. It was absolutely stunning. Uh, so we decided to have quite a lazy afternoon. So we had a long, extended lunch, and... Uh, a group of other skiers, uh, our group, came past and said, guys, you don't want to hang around too late. You've got to make it over the other side, and then you've got to get another lift. And we were like, yeah, we're fine, mate. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. So we just chilled a little bit longer. And why not? Uh, the sun was shining. Uh, so then after a bit, I said, right, well, I think we should get going. 
Uh, and I led us off up the mountain over the other side. And uh, the first thing that went wrong was actually skiing past the correct tunnel turnoff that we should have taken to go down the right side of the mountain. So we went down a wrong piste. No big deal. Uh, and then got the slowest lift back in the world. Uh, and then proceeded to go down the correct piste. And it was at this moment that I realized that perhaps all the skiers in our group weren't at quite the same level. <laughs> And uh, some of the runs by this point had become more challenging than they were in the morning. And I think it was at that moment when we'd been waiting at the bottom of one run for 10 minutes for someone to put back on their skis that I realized we could be struggling here. Um, we took the cable car down uh, into the valley, crossed the slope to go up our side of the mountain. Uh, when we got to the top of that lift, uh, there was a horrible icy slope, which uh, some of these skiers amongst us uh, came to struggle with. And uh, one of them, their binding completely went haywire. It wasn't her fault at all. No, no blame was cast. Uh, but her ski deserted her and shot down the mountain. She needed help collecting that. Another was sort of side-riding for about half an hour, the slope to get down to the turn-off. I was looking at the clock, realizing the lift shuts at 5.15. Um, we're, we're desperately running out of time. So I was chiving us, chiving us, um, making all haste that we could. And then we hit another slope, which was equally icy. And it was at this point that I just uh, reckoned, do you know what, I think we'll do this quicker if uh, you take your skis off and I just give you a piggyback down this slope. <laughs> so that's what we did. I mean, that's what we had to resort to. I, I slip, slip, slided with someone on my back halfway down, and it was at that point I felt rather smug myself, thinking, this is going all right. And then it's, the, you know, the classic piggyback thing where they say, I'm, I'm dropping, you need to, and you have to do a sort of, <clears throat> you know that bit? And when you're sort of at a 40-degree angle and you're side-on on an icy slope and you've never done it in skis, it can be a bit tricky. So we attempted that, at which point the ski shot off down the mountain and I realized I'm very much out of control at this point. <laughs> Proceeded to drop her and she just careered off, making better time, actually, uh, <laughs> on her backside to the meeting point at the bottom. We made it down there, we put the skis back on, we rushed off down uh, onto the nursery slope, which wasn't as nursery-like as you might think, because uh, the snow was melting, there were mud patches uh, everywhere. One of our number found themselves in the mud on, on the field, uh, you know, which skis don't work so well on. So she got tangled up. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I could see the lift, I could see the woman handling the netting, about to shut it. Uh, and one of our chivalrous gentlemen, instead of just watching like me, hands on hips, he shot off to help her. Um, uh, but his fatal error was thinking that somehow he could ski across mud. Uh, so he tried to do that and went completely over on his side in his onesie 80s kit, which we'd rented. So he was covered in mud, there was someone without skis, another one was walking off to the car park. I hurtled down to the lift, said, please, 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 just a few more minutes. We got down, we got on that lift at 5.15, the clock said closing 5.15, there was just, you can imagine the smugness as we began heading up the mountain to redemption, to our chalet. It was at that moment that I chose to relax and just enjoy the view and look down towards Switzerland and then across to another beautiful mountain with another chairlift going up it and realized, ah, that's the chairlift <laughs> we should have been on. <sighs> we proceeded to find ourselves on top of this mountain, lost, with no lifts open. And I have to say, I was a little bit nervous, because I was responsible for this group, uh, this flock, 
uh, of limited and varying standards. Um, <laughs> and we were lost. And uh, luckily, long story short, phone the chalet, they were able to direct us uh, to head down the same run that we'd just come up from on the chairlift, and that they would meet us at the bottom if we got safely there and skidoo, skidoo us like a motorbike on the snow back up to our chalet. So, long story short, that's what happened. But for a moment, I was nervous. I was nervous that we might be lost, that we might not be getting home, that I might be putting people's lives, maybe a bit serious, but that sort of level, in danger. But there was redemption, there was rescue. And you know what, when we did this service with the guys last night, we were out on the terrace and we invited the staff to join us, I just shared that thought, what I just shared with you, and spoke of the God who loved us so much that he came to seek and to save what was lost. And he came in to seek uh, and save people who were in a much worse situation than being stranded on top of a, a mountain with plenty of blue and red runs going down from it. And he came in a far more unique fashion than someone coming down a mountainside on a skidoo. He came to rescue a people who were lost, who without him would be lost for eternity and redeem them. And to get to share that message with the staff of Chalet Inferno, can, can you imagine? I mean, it was glorious. It's where the church should be, being salt, being light, declaring the gospel, declaring the good news. It's what we're to be about, but it's, it's hard, isn't it? Sharing the gospel, doing mission, living as salt and light, being church. It's hard, it's a challenge. You know, even preparing for the service, I found myself wondering, is anyone going to come? Is it going to be awkward? How are we going to go about it? And I'm paid to do this stuff. It's tough, isn't it? And yet when we did it, you could feel God's heartbeat for those people. And you know what? It's worth it. Every time we step over the line, every time we go out to share our faith, every time we bear witness, it is worth it because we serve such a mighty God, such an incredible Lord and Savior. I just want to rem remind us of who it is at the start of this series. We've been doing a series here at St. Dee's uh, on the seven letters of Jesus to his church, to his bride in the book of Revelation written by John the Apostle, who was put in exile on Patmos. You may remember at the start, they'd, they tried to boil him in a vat of oil, but somehow he'd survived, so they thought, well, we'll just stick you on an island. And it was there that the Lord gave him this revelation. And John writes, don't need to turn to it, but in chapter 1, he hears a voice behind him, and he says, I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, 
And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of the author of these letters, these letters we've been looking at week by week that we've been hearing God's word from, that we've been receiving the challenge of God's Holy Spirit. And this is the Lord that we serve. This vision is what makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? Knowing that Jesus Christ is risen, that he is alive, that he is real today and we can know him and what's more, we can go out to make him known. This is the Lord, this is the author of these letters and he's the author of this letter. And I tell you what, it's quite tough to come back from Chalet Inferno, a week on just having a great time on the slopes and have to look at this final letter to his church in Laodicea because it's a challenging word that God brings. This one whose eyes are like fire, who can see into our souls, who knows our every thought, who knows our every deed and who brings a word of challenge and a word that I think is more relevant to us than actually any of the other words that we've seen or heard of in the previous letters. A word that speaks to our generation and speaks to the church today. And it's tough coming back and getting in that headspace. But also it's exciting. Because you know that God wants to move powerfully. You know, I, I think we all, don't we, enjoy going to the cafe every now and then? Just uh, treating yourself to a lovely latte or a hot chocolate and that kind of thing. Uh, but give me a wave if you're, you know, you love a cafe time, you have your favorite spot, you know, you have your place in the corner. So just the three of us. No. <laughs> um, but the one thing I do insist on when I go into one of these cafes is that they have to make the coffee, the latte, extra hot. Is anyone else with me? Yes, thank you. I mean, I cannot stand it when you're paying several pounds for that thing and it turns up tepid. Do you know what I mean? Luke, I mean, when it does, it's going straight back. Sorry, heat that up again. I cannot deal with a lukewarm coffee. And it's that word that God brings to his church in Laodicea. That's the challenge for his church here, and it's a challenge for us today. Jesus says, I know your deeds. He speaks to us today. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The Lord is not a fan of lukewarm drinks. He either wants it hot or he wants it cold. Now just so you know, Laodicea was an important city back then. And uh, it was quite isolated, so they actually needed to pipe their water in, their water source. And where they got their water from was about six miles down the road at a place called Hierapolis. And it came from hot springs and it would be brought on this long aqueduct. So the water naturally set off hot, but by the time it arrived, it would be lukewarm. So when you would go on a hot day to get a refreshing drink, you'd take a swig of this lukewarm water. You'd think, wow, oh, that's rank. You'd want to spit it out. 
It was hard to come by a cold drink or a hot drink in Laodicea. And Jesus is using that image to speak of his church, to say, that's my experience with you guys. That's my experience with you. You're neither one nor the other. You see, the problem this church had in Laodicea was a problem of apathy and awareness. Self-awareness. We'll see that in a moment. But they had a problem with apathy. You see, they knew that the Lord was real. They knew that he was king. They knew that they needed to follow him. But yet they did not commit their whole lives to him. You know, they had just enough of Jesus to be unhappy in the world, but also just enough of Jesus, the world, to be unhappy with Jesus. So that's the 5 a.m. start this morning, kicking in. Yes. Um, And so they did a balancing act. I don't know if you empathize with that, if you ever find yourself just doing a bit of both. Just, you know it's true, you know God's real, you know Jesus calls you to follow him. And so you put your lot in with him. But you also know that the world isn't living that way. That it's going a different direction. That your friends, your family, your colleagues demand other stuff. And so you just keep one hand in the game, so to speak, on that side too. Does that ring true? You're a bit hot, you're a bit cold. The result is... We're lukewarm. And that is the culture we live in, guys. And that is the challenge to the church in the Western world more than anything else right now. In a world that does not accept absolute truth, who does not recognize this Lord whose eyes are like fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, who is sovereign over the universe. It's a world that would demand compromise from us. And this church was compromising and Jesus came along and he warned them. Because you are neither hot nor cold, because I'm getting a lukewarm drink, I want to spit you out of his mouth. What were they doing in his mouth? Well, the church is called to to be the spokesperson, the spokespeople of God, declaring his truth. And yet God saw them. He saw where they were at and said, I'm about to stop using you for that because you're going to misrepresent me. When you're in that place, You're not going to represent me truly or powerfully. So I'm going to spit you out. But also they were in his mouth because he prays for his church. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for you and me. For his bride, for the church. And yet his warning is, if you don't deal with this apathy, if you don't deal with this compromise, I will spit you out. You see... They struggled with that apathy, but they also struggled with awareness, a wrong awareness of their own situation. And this is a lesson for us. You know, it's possible to have a wrong view of your spiritual state. It's possible to have misplaced confidence. Jesus said to them, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. How true is that of our society today? Churches up and down the land, empty. We live in the most prosperous society ever to have walked the face of the earth. Could it be that 
that is where people are placing their confidence? Could it be that in SW6, where we live here in Parsons Green, people put their hope in their wealth, in their, com- in their income, in their bonuses, in their material possessions? I mean, isn't that what rings true to us? People just think, I'm fine. You know, SW6, I read uh, in a local magazine uh, a couple of months ago, was voted in some survey the happiest place to live in London. And on one level, that's great news. Fantastic. We, if you live near here, live in one of the happiest places to live. But on another, on the deeper level, that should be a warning to us. Because it would speak of a people who are absolutely content with their lot. Who perhaps would stand with the Laodiceans and say, yeah, I'm rich. I live in SW6. I've acquired wealth. I'm doing all right for myself. I don't need a thing. This was their mindset. And yet Jesus says, you do not realize your true state because you're looking with the wrong eyes. Your awareness of self is off key because you're looking at the surface. You're looking with the eyes of the world. Look with the eyes of faith. Look with spiritual eyes. Make a true, real judgment. Because I tell you that you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Wretched. Someone in SW6, wretched. You see my house? Pitiful. Literally, one to be pitied. Saying that to someone who's pulling in a six-figure bonus. And yet Jesus is saying there's a deeper reality. This can be the state. No matter what's going on on the surface, no matter what's going on in your life, where's your heart? What's your spiritual temperature? In truth, you can have all the possessions in the world and yet Jesus says you can be the poorest person on the face of it. Poor, blind, unable to see your true state. You know, Laodicea was famed for having some sort of eye medical center that sent salve, eye salve, all across the world. So you'd think if anyone knew how to see correctly, it would be them. Jesus says, no, 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 you're, you're blind. They were known for their banking. They were wealthy, and yet Jesus says, you're poor. They also had a, a line in black wool clothing. I've come across that a couple of times. A couple of these places did. There's a lot of black wool going around back in these days. So they were doing all right. But Jesus says, you may be able to clothe others, but you yourself are spiritually naked. Jesus comes and through his word, he gives us a true vision of who we are. He gives us a true understanding of our spiritual state. And it's difficult to hear, isn't it? It's challenging. But I wonder if it's true for us, because it will certainly be our biggest challenge. Surrounded by an indifferent culture that would demand a church that is not firing on all cylinders, red hot, preaching the gospel as we're called to. And Jesus says, that's your state, but there is hope. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Peter refers to our faith being more precious than gold refined in fire. This is our faith. Jesus says, come to me. 
Even though you have no money, even though you're poor, because of my grace, you can buy freely. Come and buy gold that will last so that you can become rich. Come and buy white clothes to wear. You know, each of us has stuff in our lives that we know we've done wrong, that we feel the conviction of God's Spirit on. Perhaps there's stuff right now that's coming to mind, coming to your heart. Perhaps there's shame in your life. You feel naked. It's the kind of thing you think, if, if people knew that. So we hide it away. We make fig leaves for ourselves. And Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you white clothes to wear. Come and clothe yourself in me, in Christ. Come and put on my righteousness. Stop trying to do it in your own strength. Stop trying to just do your best. Trust in me. I will clothe you so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Come and buy salve from me to put on your eyes so that you can see. You know, this Christian thing, it, it's not just a choice we make. It's a gift that is given to us through the Holy Spirit. It's him who comes and opens blind eyes. We need his help to understand the world as it is, to hear his voice through his word. He gives us salve so that we can truly see, that, that we can make a true assessment of our true state, that we can have true awareness. Apathy and awareness. It was their greatest challenge. And you know, the things that can make us lukewarm guys, they can be anything. They can be sins. We've, we've read in other letters of sins that take hold, of compromises that, that people were making. You remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, it, Jesus rebukes them for being too tolerant. You might think, well, the church is meant to be tolerant, isn't it? But Jesus says, this I have against you because you tolerate that woman Jezebel with her false teaching who leads my people into sexual sin. Are you tolerating something in your life? Are you giving sin a foothold in your life? Because if you are, it'll be like adding too much milk to that latte. It's going to take the temperature right off. Whatever it might be, whatever that sin pattern for you might be, we want to deal with it tonight. This is what Jesus' broken body, his shed blood, was done for, to bring us into freedom, to up the temperature within us when we look to him. Sin can take that temperature right off. Disappointment. What's going to compromise our passion, our fire for the Lord? In my experience, it can be unresolved disappointments. There will be things, if there aren't already in your life, that will seemingly take just the edge off things, the gloss off things. There'll be seasons where life doesn't look so rosy, where it doesn't feel like the first day of spring. And it's at that moment, it's at those moments, that we need help to deal with that stuff, to process, process that stuff. Because a jaded heart will take the temperature off our following Jesus. It's sin. It's disappointment. It's fear. What will others think of me? 
if I live passionately following Jesus Christ, if I stand for him, if I speak for him, what will they think of me at work? Will they accept me? Will I still be welcome? What could it mean for my career? What could it mean for my social standing, my friendships? Fear can hold us back. It can mean we do one foot in one camp, one in the other. All of these things lower the temperature, take the temperature off that drink, and God wants his latte piping hot. Those things can compromise us. But you know what? The hope is that Jesus is there to meet with us, to stir us up again, to heal our wounds, to bind us up, to heat us up. And with this I close. He, he speaks of those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. You know, sometimes you're going to come to church and it's not all going to be smooth sailing. And it shouldn't be. Because this is God's word we're coming up into contact with. There should be challenge. And Jesus says it here. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If tonight feels like rebuke in any way. If it feels tough, like tough love. Like me on the slopes with those guys. It's only because he loves us. That word love literally speaks of friendship. It's the filio, love. He disciplines those he loves. And he says, so be earnest and repent. Are you lukewarm tonight? If you're honest, would you say, this, my spiritual temperature isn't quite hitting the levels I'd like it to or that Jesus would like it to. Is, is that you tonight? Then hear Jesus' word, be earnest and repent. Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. The creator of the universe. He could just kick the door down and come in, take your life and my life. But instead, he chooses to knock in meekness, in humility, in gentleness. With all the world clamoring around us, he knocks and he looks and waits for those who hear him, who invite him in and say, Lord, I want you ahead of all this other stuff, ahead of everything else I fill my life with, ahead of all that the usual clientele of Chalet Inferno would be looking for. I want you, Jesus, because I want to eat with you. I want to know you. I want to have relationship with you. And that's what's on offer to each one of us, no matter where you're at tonight, whether you're cold, whether you're piping hot, or whether, if you're honest, you're a little bit lukewarm. We're all there from time to time. Jesus says, I'm here. I'm knocking. Will you open the door? Will you welcome me in? Because if you do, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. And you will have a feast for your soul. Amen.